Well, I welcome all of you who are here in person this morning and all of you who watch online. I'm always humbled every week to find out how many people literally around the world at some point right now or throughout the week join us for our worship and our study. And we welcome you sincerely as we continue our look at the book of Revelation. All right. How many of you recognize this guy? He is Punxsutawney Phil, and you need to pray for him because he has been indicted. You know, on the most recent Groundhog Day, Phil promised an early spring, but he hasn't delivered on that promise. It's been a bitter winter in the Northeast, so bitter that the chief prosecutor for Ohio's Butler County issued the following statement, Punxsutawney Field did purposely and with prior calculation and design cause the people to believe that spring would come early. And for this crime, he is seeking the death penalty. <laughs> now, Bill Dealey, who is the president of the Punxsutawney Club that organizes Groundhog Day, has hired a lawyer for his, wrote, I mean, his client. And he says they will vigorously contest the charges. But here's the point. When you tell people in a hard season that it's going to be better in the future, you need to be right about that. So Revelation is written to people in a hard season. Because when you live under the thumb of a brutal empire that demands worship, That you can only legitimately give to Jesus. You're in a tough place. And we've seen as we've worked through Revelation that this pressure is coming from three sources that Jesus has identified in his vision that he's given to John to give to the churches. The most obvious source is Rome and the empire that's demanding allegiance. But we find out that behind that is another power, the beast, who actually are working for the dragon or Satan. So what John is going to do is he's going to deal with each of these enemies one at a time. We'll look at chapter 17 and 18 today. He'll deal with Babylon. Chapter 19 next week, he'll look at the beast. And then finally, chapter 20, he will deal with Satan or the dragon. Now... We've said before, this is a common biblical literary device called recapitulation, where the Bible retells an event from a different angle. So don't read these chapters chronologically like this will happen, then this, then this. But what John is saying is God's going to judge evil. He's going to get rid of all of it. He's going to have different angles to look at it. And he's going to start with Babylon. Now, you'd think he would give most of the attention to the beast or to the dragon. But actually, he gives most to Babylon because that's what they felt every day. That's the pressure that was real that they could see with their eyes. And if you're in a hard season, then you actually are going to be warmed by a cold forecast for Sin City. We've got a lot to do. Let's get started. Chapter 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute 
who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman, now I want you to notice all through these chapters, the description of the opulence and affluence of the woman. She's dressed in purple and scarlet. With glittering gold, precious stones, and pearls, she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And this title was written on her forehead, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And so here's Jesus giving this vision to John to bless the church. And he's using these pictures and these metaphors all through. And the metaphor he chooses for Babylon is prostitute. You see, we tend to talk about sin as a location. Well, here's God and here's sin. And sin has separated you from God and there's a big gulf. But the Bible tends to talk about sin, not in terms of a location, but in terms of a relationship. That sin at its heart is betrayal of a person. And the most common word is adultery. Now, I don't typically go for name calling, but I think it's okay if Jesus does it. And this woman who parades herself, presents herself as a queen, Jesus calls a whore. And she's on the prowl. She is drunk on the blood of the saints. Now, that's not just talking about the martyrs, but the context is going to make it clear. He's talking about all the Christians who got seduced to their destruction because they got attracted to the prostitute. So who is this prostitute? Well, verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Now, everybody in antiquity knew Rome was built on seven hills. And verse 18 makes it even more clear. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the king's of the earth. So he is calling Rome a whore. Why? Why did he choose that picture? See, the metaphor implies that Rome is offering something that men lust for and that they want. You see, her allure is conceited. Jesus is admitting Babylon has something You think you want. And it also implies that what sin city offers is a counterfeit. A prostitute is not offering you loyalty or covenant or love. She's offering a cheap imitation of that. So what is Rome offering that men want so much? 
that has the whole world under her spell. Rome seduced the world with the offer of wealth. And you're going to see economic language all through these chapters. Look at chapter 18, verse 3. For all of the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Rome said to the world, get in bed with us. And you will prosper. And that is so seductive. Mark Twain said, some men worship rank, some worship heroes, some worship power, some worship God. And over these ideals, they dispute and cannot unite. But they all worship money. Rome sold herself. To the world. As the provider of economic security. And getting in bed with her seemed like a winning strategy. When you read those letters to those seven churches. It's obvious they were feeling financial pressure. You're a tradesman. You've got a family to support. You need suppliers. And you need a place to sell your goods. But that guild that you have to join to be in the marketplace worships the prostitute. And so you've got a hard decision to make. I've got children to feed. And I've got a prostitute to satisfy. Am I going to hook up with the hooker? But here's the deal. And it's why Jesus chose the metaphor. It's never wise to invest your future to a prostitute. You might get a temporary fake imitation of the real thing. But don't kid yourself. There is no future with a prostitute. Look at verse 1 and 2 from chapter 18. And after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by a splendor. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a house for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she's given. Pay her back double for what she's done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief, watch, as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I'm not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her death, mourning and famine. She will be conquered by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. You notice he keeps saying, give back to her what she was given. See, here's the thing. The prostitute doesn't love you. She pretends to love you, but what she wants is to exploit you. Her values are perverted. 
In fact, it's a two-way relationship of manipulation. The prostitute and the client just want to use each other. And they say, hey, we're not hurting anybody. We're just consenting adults. But people, innocent people, always get hurt by this kind of business. And I'm going to show you that now. Chapter 9, or Abitin, verse 9. Now, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. Why? Because they love her? No. Because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Now, I want you closely to watch the cargo. It's critical. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. I mean, this is clearly what rich people buy. Cargoes of cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls. Of men. How do empires get rich? Slavery. Real or economic? Slavery. They're not mourning the presence of suffering when Babylon falls. They're mourning the absence of a system that made them rich at the expense of others. See, Babylon is judged just like Egypt. And like all other empires, because she became powerful on the backs of the poor and the marginalized who had to make the bricks to build her empire. The spirit of Babylon is that materialistic bent to gain wealth at the expense of somebody else. This is how all Babylons operate throughout history. And God hates it. And he always judges it. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? It wasn't just their immorality that God judged. The prophet Ezekiel says, now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and needy. You see, we think as Christians the most horrible thing that could happen to the church is persecution. Actually, the most dangerous thing that could happen to the church is too much accumulation. It destroys empires nationally and it destroys people personally. Look at James 5. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you've accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. Why? Well, listen. Hear the cries of the field workers whom you cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You've fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You think people don't get hurt by prostitution? 
Innocent people all over the world are marginalized and impoverished by systems, world systems, that keep the rich and powerful rich and powerful. This desire for wealth controls the world. And most people are blind to how much it controls them. James asked the question, why are there quarrels and fights and wars? Simple. Your desires are evil. You want and you can't have, so you fight. Now, this explains the world. The world operates on a scarcity mentality. There's only so much, and if I'm going to get my share, I'm going to have to go take it from you. Instead of operating on the mentality that God is generous and good and His creation can provide for all, the world operates on the mentality, I better get mine now before you get what I want. And this is how we operate globally. And sadly, it's often how we operate personally. Did you hear about the big brawl at the Seattle Zoo two weeks ago? Police had to show up and break up fights between mothers. And I'm talking about bloody noses and excessive profanity and little kids crying at an Easter egg hunt. Because some mamas decided their kids weren't getting as many eggs as other kids. And so all over the New Testament, the one sin mentioned more than any is greed. Twice in the New Testament, greed is called idolatry. But in 35 years of preaching, I have heard every sin confessed, including some I didn't know existed. Except, I've still never heard anyone confess the sin of greed. I've never met a greedy Christian. I've never met a church that thought they were Laodicea. The church has said, we are rich and have need of nothing. And Jesus says, you do not realize you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. There are no greedy Christians and there are no lukewarm churches. Because we have a hard time being honest. The revelation of Jesus Christ is not just to help us look into the heavenlies. But to help us look deep into our own hearts. How attracted are we to having flings with this system that cannot completely satisfy or ultimately endure any more than a relationship with the prostitute? Look at verse 14. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, whoa, whoa, oh great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones, pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. You see, they can't believe it because the lie is if you have wealth and power, you're invincible. And it's a lie. Everything the prostitutes offer is a lie. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors, all who 
earn their living from the sea will stand far off. And when they see the smoke of a burning, they'll exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? This can't be happening. This is Babylon. They'll throw dust on our heads. And with weeping and mourning crowd, woe, woe, oh great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she's been brought to ruin. You keep reading that phrase, one hour. It's Jesus' way of saying, you think Babylon is forever, but when I judge it, it's over that fast. You see, her future is decided. God always brings Babylon down. And he often does it through the agency of the prostitute's own clients. Because the clients don't really love the prostitute. They just want to use her as much as she wants to use them. You have this section in chapter 17 that's very complex. Where he talks about kings and horns. And and scholars can't figure it out chronologically don't even try there's no way to line up how many emperors rome had with all the crowns that are mentioned but the point is rome has her emperors and she has all these people like herod that are her clients and they go to bed together and they act like they love each other but they will always turn on each other these relationships never end well chapter 17 verse 15 The angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are the people, the multitudes, the nations, and the languages. These are the people she was servicing. But the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purposes. By agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. In other words, God says, here's how I'm going to work in history. I'm going to use the very peoples that the prostitute was going to bed with to bring the prostitute down. Because evil always implodes on itself. And relationships that are built on manipulation eventually die. From the very cancer they were spreading. You see, in John's day, it was just inconceivable that Rome could fall. If you're a Christian trying to support your family under the power of Rome, it looks like there's no way Rome can't win. That's the great illusion. We already seen Satan knows he's doomed. He's been kicked out of heaven. He knows his time is short. Satan knows it can't last forever, but Babylon doesn't. Babylon never sees it coming. Every world empire, every age has a superpower. And they all thought they'll last forever. And none of them have. And none of them will. There's only one kingdom that's eternal. And if your allegiance is in the right place, that's a thrilling forecast. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her. You should be glad that Babylon falls. Even though she promises to make you rich. 
Rejoice, saints, apostles, prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Now you've heard me say, I believe Revelation is an intensely practical book. It's not to make charts, but it's to help you every day make good choices. Because in John's day and in our day, it's so easy to be seduced by the way the world works and not even know what's happening to us. Several years ago, I had a chance to go snorkeling. Now, I had been told about something called an undertow. But you get out there and you start looking at these beautiful fish and the spectacle of it. And you just get lost in it. And then finally you look up and you're a long way from where you want to be. In fact, it's dangerous and hard to get back to where you're supposed to be. And you say, how did I get here? Because you got distracted by the beauty of another world. We pay dearly, Alexander Solzhenitsyn says. We pay dearly for chasing what is cheap. And so I believe there are certain key verses in the book that are absolutely critical to understanding the whole book. And I believe John has been getting these seven churches ready for this one verse we're about to read. That is the crux of the choice he's calling them to make. Chapter 18 and verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people. So that you will not share in her sins. So that you will not receive any of her plagues. Get out of Dodge. Because Dodge is going down. So I heard a story of a preacher. Who had this one cantankerous member that it didn't matter what he preached on every week, the guy would shake the preacher's hand and say, Well, you got them good today, preacher. You got them good today. So a big blizzard rolls in one weekend. He can't even drive to church. He's got to walk there to open the building. And this one guy is the only guy who comes. So the preacher aims both barrels at him, preaches on hell and fire and damnation. When he was through, the guy came up, shook his hand and said, Preacher, if they had been here today, you'd have got them good. You'd have got them good. And this is how most churches in a superpower listen to a sermon about the danger of wealth and materialism. It must be for somebody else. But I'm saying if you don't need this warning, then what you need is a revelation. So I'm going to give you two important things to do. Choose a city. 
Revelation is a tale of two cities. There's Babylon and New Jerusalem. And you can't be neutral. And you can't be a citizen of Babarusalem. And some of you, I fear, are building your dream house in what is about to be a ghost town. Recognize the imposter for who she is. That prostitute might give you a temporary thrill and deceive you into thinking this is what you're looking for, but it is a lie and there is no future. She is a phony. Last summer, the most popular movie in America was called The Avengers. In the plot, this evil, godlike creature from another planet comes to Earth to wreak havoc. And so these superheroes form a team to fight against this god named Loki. I didn't think it was a great movie, but I thought one scene was awesome when Loki meets the Incredible Hulk. Watch this. Enough! You are all of you beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature. And I will not be bullied by that. Puny god. You just saw a snapshot of the book of Revelation. That's what's going to happen to puny gods. Leaving sin city is choosing the eternal over the external, the real over the fake, the truly good life over a fleeting thrill. But here's the thing. When Jesus has come out of Babylon, he's... He's not saying form a Christian ghetto and you can live somewhere and escape the prostitute's allure. Babylon is everywhere. He's talking about spiritual relocation. And so use wisdom. John says this calls for a mind with wisdom. It takes wisdom and spiritual discernment to live in the world but not of it. To say, I'm going to be a boat in the water, but I'm not going to let water in the boat. It takes wisdom to say, I'm not playing the game by your rules. Because I am using a different scorecard. I was thrilled this past week to get an email from a young man. He grew up in our church. Now he's in his 30s. He's got a family. He works for a major company in a major city across the country. And he was recently picked for a huge award from his corporation and they made a video tribute for him at a banquet he didn't even know he was going to attend and in this tribute these corporate leaders consistently praised three things his character his integrity and several times they said everything he does he does because of his faith most of these people weren't believers but they were honoring him because he was not of Babylon. He had a different scorecard. 
What the world offers is counterfeit. So stop whining. Let's offer something countercultural instead. It takes wisdom to say, never again will I measure a human being by their net worth and so determine their self worth. It takes wisdom to say, If God has given me much, he did so so I can bless people, not so I can hoard it. If God has prospered you, instead of raising your standard of living, think about raising your standard of giving. It takes wisdom to say, I will not get distracted and drift into a bad place, intoxicated by the baubles of a prostitute. I will remember what real riches are. Because what's real and what lasts is not sold at the mall of Babylon. So Glenn Adsit and his wife and two kids lived in China in the 1940s. They were missionaries. When the communist revolution took over, they were put in house arrest. They did not know would they be executed imprisoned but soldiers said we will let you leave our country right away go home and pack you can take 200 pounds out of the country with you and so immediately they got home and the argument started what to take what to leave he wanted to take his books and his typewriter and she wanted to take family heirlooms that had sentimental value and the kids wanted to take toys And they compromise and they come up with 200 pounds on the nose and the soldiers show up to the house. Are you ready to leave? Yes. Have you weighed everything? Yes. Did you weigh the kids? And suddenly, their treasure became trash in the shadow of the combined 200 pound weight of their children. Wisdom will make you love God And love people. Wisdom. Will help you disdain a system. That gives wealth to some. And suffering to most. We need wisdom. And we need this revelation. More than we know. Where has Sin City tried to lure you away from the wisdom of God? Well, let's ask God for a revelation. Bow with me, please. I'm going to finish the prayer, but I want you to start it. And I want you to ask God to give you right now insight into some part of your life where Babylon is is luring you and maybe you haven't even been aware of it. Oh God, give us greater vision to see where we have been seduced. Give us greater courage to stand up against the counterfeit and to use a different scorecard.
Give us greater faith to receive with joy the riches of Christ for His sake and glory. Amen. Let's all stand. I'm going to ask my prayer leaders to come forward. And I'm going to ask as we worship that you come forward if the Spirit's prompting you to come and talk to someone about your struggle with Babylon. To come and confess Christ and get baptized. To just come and say, I don't know what's going on, but God's doing something in me and I need to process it with somebody. Come out of her, my people. Come into Christ while we sing.